I'm in John 15. I want you to turn to that. John 15. Got your Bibles? I'm going to open to that. And I'm going to look at verses 9 through verses 17. Before we do that, I want to have a word of prayer with you. So let's bow our hearts and our heads before God. Father, 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 what a joy to be able to call you Father. To know that we're the children of God, that you have uh, sent your Son, and through his death on Calvary and resurrection, we have become heirs, joint heirs together with him of all the blessings of heaven. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. We pray as we, we look at this passage of Scripture today that it might be that which, uh, which speaks to us in a powerful way, ministers to our spirits, uh, sends our, 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 our spirits soaring before you, and thankful for who you are and what you've done. And we pray these things, and we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, when I... Um, when I became the director of the, the Lupus Foundation in Michigan, it was about four years after I had uh, assumed that responsibility that they called me and said, would you like to be on the national board and represent the state of Michigan and Indiana, because I was doing both. And I said, well, sure, I'll do that. So I uh, was on the national board, and the national board traveled to different places. They would go to, we went to New Orleans, San Diego, where the different chapters were, because they wanted to support the chapters, New Orleans. So we had board meetings wherever we decided at the time, whoever was in charge of that, I don't know. But so I got to travel. So I got the phone call uh, that they were going to go and meet in, uh, in Boston. And some of you might have heard this story, but you haven't heard the end of my story, so I'm going to start it and then I'll finish it. But so off we were going. You know, I, I, I went to my uh, administrative assistant. I said, Boston. And she was always the one that booked all the, the flights and whatnot, so she booked the flight to Boston and had my bags packed early in the morning, off I went, and on the plane, touched down, and, and I uh, got off the plane, headed off the uh, tarmac, or not really go to the tarmac anymore, through the lobby, and out in the parking lot, called a cab, and uh, got in the back of the cab, and the guy says, where to? I said, I'm going downtown Boston. And he said... I got to call this in. Now, what would you think? <laughs> I got to call this in. I thought, we didn't call this in. I want to go downtown. I got a meeting. We were going to meet at 10 o'clock, so it was there early in the morning. Got to go downtown. Go downtown Boston. He said, I got to call this in. So he's fussing around up there in the front. So he finally calls it in. And uh, he says, uh, yeah, he says, I can do that. He says, it'd be about $1,200. I said, $1,200. He says, yeah. He says, you're in Baltimore. You're in Baltimore. He says, I can drive you there. He says, by $1,200. He says, it's 400 miles from here. So I said, uh, no. <laughs> uh, so I got out of the cab, and I went back in, and the meeting was already going to be starting, so I called over there. I said, you know what? I'm in Baltimore. I can't get up there, so I can't be at this meeting, and I'm just going to get a flight and go home. So I started looking around for flights to go home, and there wasn't one until the next day in the afternoon. So I, of course, got on that and found a hotel, and I stayed there the night. And that was the end of the first part of the story. 
but I didn't tell you the second part of the story, which I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that in just a little bit. <laughs> so, so here I am, I'm stuck in Baltimore in this, in this hotel, all by myself, alone in the world. Okay, John chapter 15, verse 9 through 17. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. As my father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all the things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Lord, at his blessing of the reading of his word, you may be seated. So this morning, before I continue, we have the Saunders with us, and uh, they're, they're visiting. You want to stand up? Everybody knows who you are. They were, they were with us for a while. And lo and behold, he moves up to Tawas and becomes pastor of a church. So how does the Lord do all this stuff? You know, this is good stuff. So, uh, and we rejoice with you in that, uh, both of you, Denise and, and Michael. And I had the opportunity of having lunch with him yesterday and, you know, tried to talk him down off of this pastor thing <laughs> a little bit. You know, calm down, you know, <laughs> calm down a little bit. So I was frustrated, right? Um, and that was a, a thing that happened to me some years ago, but, but a real God moment happened that I want to share. Um, it strikes me as a strange thing that I have never seen a sermon on this text, which is John 15, 15. I've, I've, I've never seen a sermon on this text. And I don't think up until now that I have prepared a sermon on this text. Who knows why? Don't know why or why I haven't seen that. But here's a passage with some depth, real strong words to it, sufficient density to tease the mind of any pastor or any preacher with an extraordinary offer, an offer from God to those who listen. So, um, and it's hiding in plain sight. It's right there in plain sight. Um, maybe it's avoided because the promise the promise is too magnificent and therefore too demanding for us in our life, but it's a powerful passage of Scripture. Some texts are like that. Martin Luther didn't preach on some texts. He didn't, he didn't preach on the text of Abraham offering Isaac. Uh, he didn't preach on that. He said it was too much. It was too, too, too heavy for him. Or, but maybe John 15 makes an offer that makes your heart say, oh, boy, that's, that's something. I don't know. I got to think about that. Listen again. John 15, 15 says this. I do not call you servants any longer 
because the servant does not know what the master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all the things that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. From servant to friend. Think about that. From servant to friend. But why? Why? What? Why? I have never seen this before this week as I looked at it. And, it, and you know, when you look at Scripture, there's different nuances to it that you, you can look at and think about. But I thought about this more in terms of the passion of Christ because you're in the midst, in John 15 here, of Jesus moving to the cross. It's the passion narrative. And so I thought of it differently. I thought of it about it in, in a passage. And, I, and, and we, get, we, we say friend. We see that word friend and we get all excited. Friend, friend. I'm a friend of God. And we sing our songs about friendship with God. What a, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? And it excites us and, and it's, it's amazing. But, but how and why? That's the thing. Why, why this here? Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing statement that's made. Amazing to be a friend of, of God, a friend of, of Jesus. But again, I ask why? But it, and it tells us that. It says because or for, look at the passage, because all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. That's his reasoning. That's, that's the reason. There's an answer here. And it's not the answer we think it is. There's an answer. Do you, do you like that? Do you welcome that? I'm a friend of Jesus. Do you like that? Yeah. Um, is that a promotion? Is that a promotion? I preached this sermon about 25 years ago uh, on a similar theme. Not this one, but, but, but I preached on Abraham was a friend of God. You know that passage in the Old Testament. Okay, now back to my story. <laughs> So I had missed my flight, and I was, in the morning, I didn't fly out in the afternoon as I do. I, I'm, I'm, I got a holy habit, and that's, I attend church. So I'm looking for a church, so I go down in the lobby, and I says, there a church nearby I can go to, and someone points to, you know, about the direction, about six blocks down there, there's a church, and you can head down there. So I started walking, I got down there, it was an old uh, cinder block uh, building, um, and I walked inside, there were some uh, few tired souls that were in there singing their songs, and, and I sat down, and they turned and smiled at me, and I smiled back at them. And uh, the preacher was a large man, I recall, and his presence was a little bit awkward because he had a number of physical maladies, and uh, his eyesight was one of those, he had poor eyesight. And he moved to the pulpit, and he started reading from the text. And the text was from James chapter 2 and verses 23. And his opening words were this. Abraham was a friend of God. I'm sure glad I'm not a friend of God. And I sat there and I said, huh, huh, what's this all about? Huh, you ever do that, huh? Say it with me, huh, huh, there we go. What? I'm sure glad I'm not a friend of God. And uh, he had my attention. He had my attention. And his sermon was an explanation 
of why he was pleased not to be a friend of God. And I can't remember being so engaged. I, I listened. <laughs> this old boy up there, his delivery was lackluster. He had trouble with his words sometimes. Uh, his speech was a bit halting. Now, as I mentioned, the, 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 the thing about being a friend of God has a lot of nuances to it. And, and, and this is one that we don't think of often when we look at passages of Scripture. The preacher told the story of Abraham, who was a pilgrim, right? He was a wanderer. And he goes back to that story, and he said he was homeless for years. He died. He was buried in a land that was not even his own place, you know? And he said, you know, Abraham was a friend of God. I'm glad I'm not. He said it again. He said it again. He spoke of other people that were friends of God. You know, people that had been burned at the stake, people that had been, you know, they'd been through dungeons and they'd been thrown in prison and fire and sword and all of that. And he concluded with the story of Teresa of Avila. And Teresa, remember, was a friend of God. I mean, that's one of the things that they said about her. And she recalled that she would go begging in public. She was so concerned about children in an orphanage for children and she would go begging in public to, to build this orphanage. And the orphanage got built and then it burned down. And the orphanage got built and they did some more things to it. And then there came a storm and floods and other things that occurred. And after a series of setbacks and floods and storms and fire repeatedly destroying the orphanage, she said this to God. If this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few And the preacher ended his sermon saying, if you find yourself being drawn into the inner circle of friends of God, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. And his last words were, pray for the strength to bear the burden of it. Not what I expected. <laughs> Not what I expected when I walked into that church. What do you think about those words? What do you think about Jesus' words? He says, I don't call you servants any longer. I call you friends. Sounds like a promotion. I mean, one can make that case, right? Sign me up, Sign me up for that. One can make that, uh, that case uh, until you keep reading. Again, this is part of the passion narrative in the Gospel of John. It's ours, and Jesus is going to be on the cross. And he's speaking to his disciples here. And if you drop down to verse 18 in the same passage of Scripture, you know, th this, is the, this is called in the Gospel of John the book of glory. It's the book of glory, the book of the passion. It's the last night. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Well, that's a funny thing him to say right then, and drop down to the next chapter, because we're in the Passion, chapter 16, and verse 2. He says to his disciples, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. Yeah, yeah, they are. The time is coming when whoever kills you thinks that they're offering God a service. It's all right here. Just keep reading. It's the Passion. It sounded like a promotion, but 
Had not Jesus in that very room, that very night, that very night, dramatically impressed upon the disciples the posture of their action of a servant by washing their feet? Washing their feet? Had he not said plainly that they were to wash one another's feet? They were to be servants? Had he not reminded them of the fact that not to, not to be overlooked in the life of the disciple in chapter 13 where it says, servants are not greater than their masters. Servants are not greater than their masters. I don't care who you are. You can be an elder of this church. You can be pastor of this church. You can be a deacon. You can be a teacher. People of the Lord. Servants are not greater than the master. And we're all there. We're all there. The whole passion narrative was about servanthood. You know, serve, being a servant. You know, my whole, my whole thing about pastoring is servanthood. You know, you're servant. Servant is the operative word to speak in relationship to Christ, right? Our relationship to Christ and to the community of faith that we're here and we're serving one another. And he tells us that serve one another, right? Do this. Nothing strikes us as so unbecoming as a follower of Christ who is arrogant. Who is arrogant. The position, you know, now, because I'm pastor, I have this power. Now I got power now. I had an associate pastor like that. He got ordained. He said, now they're going to listen to me. I said, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, you're crazy. I got power now. But, but that gets in your mind. I'm in authority now. I'm authority. I've, I got power now. I can do these things in that desire to be served rather than to serve. You know, I'm, I'm in charge of things. I do this, I'm that. So some of it's all about correctness. We, we, want, we want the correct, we got to be correct about things. But what about heart? What about heart with people? What about Jesus? And the example that Jesus, so you watch everybody. So, you know, sometimes we just watch, we got to, you know, we got to sniff people's theology. You know, I, oh, gee, I don't think I like what they said there. We sniff people's theology. And, and the truth is, no one is comfortable around those people, but they don't see it. Making people, that's like they're watching us. You know, they're going to correct us sometime. You're uncomfortable. You're, you know, uh, where's, where's the humility? Where's the, we're just saying that your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough, but I'm not going to be graceful. You know, with you, your grace is enough for me. You know, self-emptying. Where's the self-emptying that Jesus did? These are difficult concepts for us because we're so full of ourselves. Sometimes it's not about what you believe. It's about how you share what you believe, how you express that to other people within the community and within the body of Christ. Such living is a stark contradiction to the teaching and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get full of ourselves, you know. And of course, we, we sing with feeling. What a friend we have in Jesus, you know. But who among us says, what a, what a friend Jesus has in me? What a friend Jesus has in me? In me. None of us really can claim that position. And suddenly and shockingly, Jesus bestows the title 
on us that we could never claim. You can't claim that. Jesus gives that to you. Friend. Your friend. Feels like a title. In fact, it's a word that describes relationship, doesn't it? It's relationship. It's relationship. It implies love. It, 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 it implies humility with one another. Even if it's not a title, it just feels a little like a title. If you've been all your life a servant of Jesus, you've been serving the Lord, if you've been chosen and, and, and he's chosen you and you've chosen and that, that role of being a servant of Jesus, faithful to word and deed, you, you know, it's the total definition of who you are, your servant, that's what you think, it's where you are. Then to be called by Jesus a friend is an overwhelming gift. It's an overwhelming gift to be friends with the Almighty. Jesus calls me friend. It's too much, really. I mean, this is, this is God. It's too much. It's too much. And of course, a friend is it's, it's heard as a promotion, right? No longer a servant. Your friend, your friend. So we receive it for what it obviously is, a promotion from one station to another station. We've arrived at that and we think good about that. Now think about that. Uh, out of the apartment, into the big house. Yeah. Off the back lawn, on the patio now, with everybody else. Off the bench, into the dining hall. Off the, off the floor and into the big bed. No more tote that barge, lift that bale, work, work, do this. Instead, come, friend, let's go for a walk. Come on, friend. Can there be, in all of God's kingdom, a greater joy than this? You know, real, think about it. It's impossible. This is it. And Jesus continues, he says, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant doesn't know what the master's doing. That's the truth. That's the truth. The whole of my life was to do what I'm told. I'm a servant. Do, do what I'm told. Do the things that I'm told to do. Plow, plant, weed, harvest. That's That's... That's what I did. That's what I was told to do. This is what you do as a servant. I didn't know before I knew Jesus what went on in the big house. I didn't know what went on in the master's head, what he was thinking about, the deals, the trades, the profit loss. These were his responsibilities. All this other stuff is his, not mine. Not mine. And his lamp burned late. Not mine. Not mine. When the day's work is done, it was done. I'm done. After that, it's bread and bed for me. I'm off the bed. Don't ask me any questions about the master's business. I don't know. I mind my own business. I mind my own business. Jesus continues. He says, I've called you friends because... And here's the thing, because 
I have made known to you everything that I have heard from the Father. In other words, a friend of Jesus, a friend of Jesus shares in the knowledge of God's operation in the world. What God's doing in the world. What God is doing and how God is doing it. God is is creating a community of love, a community of people that is to embrace everyone. To share this love of God with everyone. A friend has this love, extends it toward other people, but it carries a price. It carries a price. The world doesn't know God. And it will hate the friend of Jesus as it hates Jesus for practicing that kind of love. Jesus paid the full price for loving. Laying down his life. And that's what he's talking about here. Laying down, he's going to the cross. Laying down his life for those that he loves. Right? That's us. We have no reason to assume here a friend of Jesus is exempt. So knowing what Jesus heard from God, which is what it says we, we know, knowing what Jesus heard from God, the friend of Jesus shares in the responsibility of that knowledge. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's pleasant. It's an encouraging thought. But it's beginning to feel burdensome. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder if the move from servant to friendship is really a promotion. It's true, a servant doesn't know what the master's doing. That's true. I mean, you can go to any place of business here where you have people that are working and they don't know what's going on in the higher-ups and what they're thinking and what they're doing and all that. Uh, Servant doesn't know, but I like that. I want to know. Leave me alone, you know? know, I've heard you guys say that. Leave me alone, you know? I don't know if I want to know. I don't know if I want to know. Uh, Not knowing has, has good side to it, has a bright side to it. Side that I like sometimes. And I've heard people say here, you know, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Why? I know why. Because it bears responsibility once you know. Right? Once you know, you've got responsibility. Once that is out there, there you are. The servant doesn't take the work home with him. You know, when I, when, for, for him, the day ends, he puts the pen down. He turns off the light, he turns off the computer, whatever, puts the shovel aside, whatever. But sometimes the master's still up, all night, pacing, thinking, doing, examining. And if the servant becomes a friend of the master, then the master's burdens become the servant's burdens as well. My friend's burdens become my burdens. Because I know. I know. It seems that friends of Jesus are never completely free of duty to bear the fruit and to pay the price of what love is all about and loving people 
and caring for people. Jesus said, I have made known to you everything that I heard from my Father. But really, who wants to know? Who wants to know? Most of us carry in our lives large areas of deliberate ignorance. Deliberate ignorance. We don't want to be informed. We don't want to know. From childhood, we carry this uh, warm, inspiring... I mean, we can think about it in different things, like George Washington. You know, he's the guy with the cherry tree. But we see him with the troops at Valley Forge in the, in the biting snow. And, and uh, who wants a picture like that spoiled by understanding the information that really Washington was quartered in a large, comfortable farmhouse? Not far from... Valley Forge. Who wants to know that? I don't want to know that. Got my own picture of our stuff. We don't want to know that our fourth president, James Madison, signer of the Declaration of Independence, hailed as the father of the Constitution. The father of the Constitution. That Madison, he opposed slavery in his writings, frustrated by the inability to get anything done. But we don't want to know that Madison owned over 100 men, women, and children. I don't want to know that. My dad would call it willful ignorance. That was his word, willful ignorance. I think he was talking to me. <laughs> willful ignorance. And I, and I started with this a while ago. I told you this before. We, we, we grew up in Chicago area. It was in the suburbs of Cicero. Cicero was where Al Capone was, a very rough area. Berwyn area where my dad had his church. And in 1963 through 60, 68 was the civil rights movement throughout the Chicago area and in the streets. But they were trying to do there is one of the things they were trying to, to advance was the Fair Housing Act. It finally was enacted in 1968. But leading up to the, they were trying to get discrimination to be illegal, where people can move and be where they want to be and have the opportunity for that. So there could be no demonstration on the, the part of, of race or color or national origin or sex or whatever. And as a teenager, when I was growing up there, I was in my late teens, moving into college about this time, right in 66, 67, and, and I'm, I'm watching this go on in Chicago. And those are, that's not far from where I was. And so I'm watching this, I'm watching the marches, I'm seeing all this stuff, I'm seeing families, black families, that were moving into Berwyn. Berwyn was all white. Cicero was all white. You know? And they're moving into Berwyn. They're moving into Cicero. And they're coming in there. And I, I, I see them move in. And mysteriously, fires started and burned down homes. I mean, really. I drove by them. I drove by them. I saw this. I watched this. My dad began to help with that whole movement of, of, um, of the, the Housing Act. And he got on different committees and he was helping formulate some things in that and, and doing some things with other people with all that. And so you ask the question, well, what about the church? What about the church? Where was the church in this? <clears throat> I'll tell you where the church was. church didn't want to know. Ignorant. Don't want to know. Don't want to know.
Deacons met. Called my father in. Said, you got to go. You got to go. And that's why I'm in Detroit today. That's why I'm here. We don't want to know about this. We don't want you involved in it. And you're involved in this, so you got to go. We packed up six kids, and we moved. We moved. Who wants to hear a child say, Mom, I'm hungry? Who wants to go? I mean, we want comfort. We want, com- we want comfort demands we avoid some of these things. They're too hard. Comfort, we want comfort. You know, these, these rallies sometimes happen where there's passions and informed speakers, and they bring us news that 13 million Americans go to bed hungry every night. We don't want to know that. We don't want to know that. Every 25 minutes, a child is shot dead in America. Well, no, 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 no. I don't want to know that. There's a lot of information I prefer not to know. And I ask my question, is this what it means to be a friend of Jesus? To be told uncomfortable truths that carry unavoidable duty or passion? Duty to love like God loves, to love people like God loves people? To lay down one's life if need be, it's what he did? To suffer? To make hard choices? The life of a servant is looking better all the time. I recall the first time I saw the inside of a pulpit. You, you got glass pulpits anymore, but they didn't used to be glass pulpits. They'd be big, they were big pulpits. And there was a pulpit in my upbringing. It was a nice pulpit, but the next church that my dad went to had a big pulpit. It was a big one. And I liked that. I, you know, I used to look at that and... And it wasn't uh, long I was uh, there that I was called into ministry. And, and then I was called up to preach and asked to preach. And it was a, you know, if you do that for the first time, it's really something. When you stand in front of people, right, Mike? <laughs> stand in front of people the first time you're asked to preach and the, the responsibility of it. It's a humbling experience, but it's also a trembling experience. And one of my memories, one, uh, one unforgettable things about that when I think back about it, is the contents that are in these pulpits. You know, the, the stuff that's in there. You, get, you see it from out there, but you guys, like I say, you guys can see through this, but it didn't used to be like that. So I, I piled inside of these pulpits. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that they, they stick in there. You know, on two shelves, there's, there's old bulletins, you know, like from three years ago that are they're, they're in there. There's a, a coverless hymnal that was in there, an old Bible, a baseball cap for whatever reason. Maybe it was used as an illustration, Handwritten notes that were in there, alarm clock that was broken, it didn't work anymore, and the old burnt down candle, I think it was probably from Christmas that's there. I suppose it was from Christmas. Needless to say, the view from the pew was better. You know, it was better. But I didn't feel like I had been given a promotion. In fact, there are plenty of days when being a pastor... 
being a servant has a stronger appeal than being a friend. The old cabin out back looks better sometimes than the big house, you know. I'll never forget the first time I was invited as a friend to spend the night in the big house. God's house. God's house. I was excited as a new believer, a new friend of Jesus, first-time visitor to the house of many rooms. Angels showed me around, answered all my questions, endless questions. The food was heavenly, bedtime. I was shown to my room by an angel. And with a good night, sleep well, I was left alone. The excitement of the day is finally resolved. I'm weary, and the weariness leads me to rest, and I close my eyes, go to sleep. My bed was a cloud. Soft sound of music coming from all over. It was wonderful, just wonderful. And I drifted into sleep. And sometime in the night, my sleep is interrupted by sounds in the other room. And I didn't know who was in the room, but someone was having a bad night. Someone was having a difficult, difficult night. Noisy, but I, 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 I listened. I, didn't, I couldn't get what the, I wasn't sure about it. I listened carefully. Maybe it was groaning. Maybe it was moaning. But it was accompanied by, the, I, could, I could feel moving around, a tossing, a, a turning. And I thought, I, I'll go knock on the door, but I was afraid to. And I didn't want to call out because I didn't want to wake up anyone else that was there, so I tolerated it till morning, catching little snatches of sleep. And when the morning came, I heard the person next door get up and move around the room and then step out into the hall, and I did the same. I did the same. I wanted to see who it was, and if appropriate, talk to them and express my regret that they had a sleepless night. It was God. And I was shocked, shocked. God restless, unable to sleep. God who blesses with peace that passes all understanding. God who takes whimpering children and settles them, quiets them. I was speechless. And God said, I'm sorry. I probably disturbed you in your sleep. I know my groaning was a distraction, but I couldn't get my mind off my hurting children. The brokenness, the pain, the hurts of my children. Are you a friend of God? Are you a friend of God? Something you like? You know his heart. You know his heart. In the interest of time, I'm just going to use two scriptures here and then I'm going to close. It's in Luke 4. It shows us the, the Father's heart. I put it in your bulletin in the little blurb that I write each week. Same thing. Jesus stands in the synagogue in his hometown and he begins his public ministry. And he says this. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he said to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then another passage from Matthew 25, where Jesus says to those who were before him, The righteous, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Inasmuch as you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. It feels good. You know, what a friend we have in Jesus, all my sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Who wouldn't want a friend to bear our sins? Who wouldn't want a friend to bear our griefs and our sorrows and our pain? You a friend of Jesus? Are you a friend of Jesus? You claim to be a friend of Jesus? There's so much more to that. There's so much more to that. So much deeper. What did, uh, what did I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, remember the name, but that preacher, that, that preacher, in whatever it was, church, I don't even remember the church or what the name of the church, say to the congregation, what did he say to the congregation? If you find yourself being drawn into the inner circle of the friends of God, blessed are you. But pray for strength to bear the burden of what that friendship means. Pray for strength, church. And we're going to need that in these coming days, strength. God's strength. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the scriptures, the revelations that are there for us, that because of the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that we have eyes to see, that we, we have already sung about. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. We have eyes to see. We have the Spirit of God Directing us, informing us, revealing to us the deep truths in your word. And we have the spirit of God to give us the strength. Not only to be servants, but the strength to be your friend. To reach out to one another within the body. To show love and grace. And we sang, your grace is enough. It is. It is. 
be graceful with one another, care for one another, pray for one another, comfort one another. And then to look at the world around us and know the deep, deep, deep need for God. For a loving Heavenly Father. Father, we pray that you speak to our hearts this morning, our minds as we look at this, that we, we, we take this into our, into our minds, into our spirits, into our lives, that we meditate upon it and, and come out rejoicing. That yes, yes, we are friends of God. And we look, we look, we look at what that means, Father. We, we, we see all of the, the different uh, things that happened to your disciples. Crucifixions. They were friends of God. They were friends, Lord. Peter hung upside down. All of them died cruel deaths. They were your friends. Help us to take these things serious. To be joyful, yes. Joyful that we're part of the kingdom. Joyful that we're part of who God has called us to be. Joyful for what he's done to us. Joyful for what he's going to do in the weeks and the years and the months ahead. Joyful that we're part of that kingdom. But a serious joyfulness that we are your friends. And that that demands accountability. And that demands our all. As Jesus laid down his life for us. So we thank you for befriending us. <laughs> Give us the strength, Lord, to understand that. And to move out into this world as a friend of God. And this is our heart and prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.